Good evening, Sangha. I hope you're well. Um, many of you in, in the group meetings this after this, I mean this morning, um, talked already about the planning mind for the retreat of life starting on Sunday. It's so common. And I love this one line. Life only happens now. It can be such a powerful line to remind ourselves when the mind is already projecting into the future. And then there's another few lines I'd love to kind of share tonight that I found highly inspirational. And this is one. When the... uh, when His Holiness the Dalai Lama, when he was asked, what's your religion? And most of you know this. My religion is very simple. My religion is kindness. And then these words of the Buddha, the greatest protection in all the world is loving kindness. And this is what I'd like to reflect upon tonight with you all and how kindness manifests throughout the Buddhist teachings and how quite often there's these beautiful images to describe this heartfelt state of being open and kind. And one of the lines that I find the most beautiful and poignant um, is this. Like a caring mother or a caring caretaker, holding and guarding the life of her or their only child. So with a boundless heart of loving kindness, hold yourself and all beings as your beloved children. And to me, it always feels refreshing to keep hearing these lines. For me, actually hearing the Dharma is like food. I need it every day. And I don't know if you've also started to notice how the mind starts to kind of check what kind of progress has been made, you know, (laughs) after all these hours of waking up and perhaps even draw conclusions. I've seen this mind think that so often. So how do we measure this? How do we measure the progress of this? And one thing that I found very helpful is to kind of measure it in a way in connection to kindness. And just asking myself, is there more kindness towards myself and towards others? My wife really loves that that measurement. And she will also point out when it's absent. (laughs) Or even say, when we're in an argument, where's your meditation now? (laughs) And I deserve it at those times. I really do. And in a way, it's really, really simple. This kindness. This other wing next to wisdom. It really reminds me again of that handful of leaves 
what is really important for the development of this unconditional happiness. And the big old leaf for me is kindness. Right there. I love how Jack Cornfields, he asks us to contemplate in a very beautiful way. He says, in the end, when we look at our life, the questions will be simple. Did I live fully? Did I love well? Just kindness as a way of loving and giving. And also being mindful moment to moment, to me, is an act of kindness. So just kind of think all these innumerable times that you've been waking up, all these many moments of an act of kindness to yourself, and also being presence for others here sharing so much of your kindness also to this sangha. <clears throat> There's a cook, uh, Evan, on staff here, and he once asked me, can you do a Dharma talk on the kitchen? <laughs> and I, I, I'm still working on that. It's work in progress. I, this is not going to be on kitchens yet, although I'm a big cook. <laughs> Some among us are a big nook. <laughs> and, um, but... He said, you know, it takes so many acts of kindness and kindness and action of generosity. And he had this image of, a, I think it was a Swiss, Swiss chard leaf, you know, that came into like a box delivered by someone coming from the land, you know. And he said all these acts and all these moments and these acts of care that it took for that leaf to end up on I think right now the kitchen is cooking for 140 plates, <coughs> feeding us. And so tonight I'd like to talk about some of the manifestations of kindness. <coughs> so this talk is called Kindness in Action. <laughs> <laughs> and one way it's kind of expressed is through this act of generosity. The giving and sharing heart is really light and open, joyful. So I just want to invite a pause, which is really my favorite instruction to myself and to anybody else. Pause, not to stop, but just to pause for a moment and just perhaps to come home to the body and maybe reflect for just a few moments how generosity has supported you to be here on retreat. Maybe also bringing to mind, I find it so inspirational, the long, long line of people it took for us to hear and practice these teachings. This is from the Buddha. He said, if people knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, 
They would not eat a meal without sharing it, nor would they allow the taint of stinginess or meanness to overtake their minds. And there can be such joy and delight in this kind act of giving and sharing. And I recently had a very beautiful experience of it when um, our little boy who's four, Lou, he started to ask about homeless people out in the streets of New York. And he was asking, why do the people ask for money and why do other people give them money? So we talked about this idea of not having a home and I could really kind of see him think. And then all of a sudden we were on the train going back home and then he said, and he asked Chantal, my wife and I, can I do it too? Can I give some money too? I said, yeah, sure. And he has this little shoe box where he collects all his coins and pennies and single bills and what have you. And then the following day he came with his hand full. Is this enough? Can I do this? He had his hand open. And so we went. It becomes now, it's like a, a routine now to do it. And then he was a little nervous in the beginning, so I held his hand and he was like, <laughs> and then I could kind of see him go like this. <laughs> so this whole kind of sensation of joy was there. And it was very kind of relational too, where the person who received it kind of was really also smiling. It was just this exchange of, of positive kindness, you know. But I must say, when he got kind of a taste of it, in all honesty, he goes, next time, I'm only going to give to people who have a sign. <laughs> so we also talked about, you know, really being open in, in our generosity or when it's conditional. You know, and I've had that too. I've held the door open, no thank you. And I go, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you know. So this generosity that can really come from the heart without a condition. And I also want to talk a little bit about generosity not only being a financial donation. For example, at New York Insight, where I teach a lot, you know, we quite often talk about dana, generosity in Pali, at the end of our practice. And then it can seem actually like it's kind of a, you know, that it's only about financial donations. But it's so much more than giving money. And these are the words from the Buddha. He says, how is a family person accomplished in generosity? Here a family person dwells at home with the mind devoid of the stain of stinginess, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in relinquishment, one devoted to charity, delighting in giving and sharing. And I just love the image of the open hand and how frequently the Buddha keeps saying delighting, delighting. It reminds me of one of my students at the V hospital Every time when we finish our practice, Juanita goes, delicious. <laughs> so I always ask, how was practice? And we know it's delicious. You know, she goes, delicious. And her husband goes, 
um, Art says, good stuff. Good stuff. Delighting and letting go, good stuff. It's like, you know, that we actually gain something when we let go instead of like thinking, oh, you know, something has left. All acts of kindness in action. And I also want to reflect for a moment as an immigrant from Holland that I, I have really been touched by the generosity and kindness of people in this country. Because there's a lot in this country that I found out that is not working right. And it hasn't worked right from the get-go. There's social and racial injustice. There's sexism. There's transgender oppression. Heterosexism. Ableism. People because of their religion being oppressed. Or because of their age. And at the same time, there's so much generosity and kindness here. And I want to bring a man in the room without whom I wouldn't have not have been here. And his name is Gilbert Reed. And he's from South Carolina. And he moved as a young black man from South Carolina to the Bronx in the year Otis Redding died, in 1967. That's always hard. That's his reference point. I came here when Otis Redding died. And we became friends to, I would say, three, sheer coincidence. Some people always say, Bart, there's no such thing as coincidence. Josanna is one of them. <laughs> and we had a mutual friend, and we kind of became friends, my wife and I and Gilly. And we kept visiting him when we were still living in Holland. And he also visited us there twice. And when Gil found out that we had this aspiration to live in New York without a flinch, immediately he said, why don't you come and stay and live in our apartment? He had two other roommates. We'll clear a room for you all. Maybe you can stay for three, four months. Get yourself together because we didn't come here with jobs. And then you'll find your own place. Those few months turned into five years. <laughs> but we kept checking. Of course, I didn't see you. We didn't overstay our welcome. Thank you, Thank you very much. Oh. But he shared everything. His kitchen, his pots and pans, his food. We had all, all these meals together. And most importantly, what he shared was his experiences of this country. And he helped us also to translate all the things that we thought we had of this country. And he goes, no, it's like this, and see it like that. He taught us English. And he also taught us that the US history that you've learned a little bit about in Holland, that's not my history as a black man. We actually became his New York children, and he's our New York father. And for Lou, he's called Uncle Gil. And one of the things that's been really important to me is to see that this generosity is a flow of energy. And there's also this heartfelt wish to give back. 
And one way that I really am committed to giving back is to pause and really start to kind of question my role and actions in this society. Because it's one of my deepest aspirations to not unconsciously contribute to the reality of this unjust society. There's a system here that I'm getting to understand more and more of power and of oppression and privilege. And one of the ways I want to give back is I really want to understand, for example, what is my social location made up of the category of being a white male, straight, highly educated, no financial worries, able-bodied. And I want to stop hiding as an act of generosity in that comfort zone of my privileges. And how it kind of manifested for me was, for example, in workshops, reflecting on social, economic, and racial injustice, how I kept quiet. I wasn't really engaging in these conversations. At first because I didn't know what to say, but it was also kind of comfortable not having to speak out, having to reflect on it. And I started to realize that's another privilege. I didn't even have to think about it. It's like the order of this unjust system, this order of the day doesn't affect me in the in a way that some folks really have to deal with every day. And during Martin Luther King Day, I read an article by, I'm not sure if I'm going to pronounce her name right, Jean Theo Harris, where she quoted Dr. King while he was writing in prison in 1963. And he said, the white moderate, and I kind of identify with that, is more devoted to order than to justice. And she wrote, Miss Theo Harris wrote, for too long, order is more important than justice. And this to me, to reflect on this and to keep learning more about it, is an act of kindness and generosity. It's to be vulnerable. To learn about the blind spots that we have and to specifically learn from others because I love how my very dear friend and Dharma teacher, Rosemary Blake, says, ignorance is like carbon dioxide. You can't smell it. We need others to help us to see this. And also to see that our intention, we've been paying attention to intention, most likely a lot today, to see that our intention can be wholesome, but that the impact it has might be not the way we intended. Can the kind and open heart also receive the impact of our actions and our speech? Really this willingness to learn, to receive. And this vulnerability and generosity, I also really tasted that in our group relational Dharma practice meetings, as I call them. This willingness to be real and vulnerable 
in your sharing. Because then we start to see the interconnection with it all. This is from Dr. King as well. He says, whatever affects one directly, affects one, affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. So realizing this impersonal nature of experience, which sometimes just means to me, take stuff not so personal, right? Is a doorway to kind of really, really realizing that we're part of life. It's all connected. Just like the roots of a tree are connected, or, or how Henry David Thoreau puts it. He says, he wrote, Two sturdy oaks, I mean, which side by side withstand the winter storm, in spite of wind and tide, grow up the meadow's pride, for both are strong. Above, they barely touch, but on their mind, down to their deepest source, admiring you shall find their roots are intertwined inseparably. And we can also find this kind and, and this, this generosity manifesting in nature, how the earth feeds us, how it teaches us about life. One time I had a really hard time on retreat here and the mind was so extremely restless. To sit was just, it was an agony. And all of a sudden, this, this voice came to me, take a walk. Sometimes it's, you know, we have to listen to that voice of intuition. It usually doesn't shout. That's what I love about creating the silence so we can actually hear the whispering voice of intuition. And I remember I took a walk, I went outside to the trails But I think a teacher the night before had said that you can actually take some bird feed, like some seeds, and they might come and, you know, the chickadees might come and eat from your hand. So I'm like, let's not only go for a walk, let's go for chickadee feed. So halfway between here and the forest refuge, I stopped. I was wearing mittens. It was the exact type of weather as it is now, cold, a little snowy. And I just started standing with my hands open to the side. No chickadee. <laughs> but guess what? All of a sudden, that very characteristic sound, I can't do it, but how a chickadee sounds. And I saw one. And it saw me. And it came a little lower. And it checked me out, and I was checking it out. And I had in both hands, you know, these seeds on the mittens. And all of a sudden, it came lower. And I was just really in this relational Dharma practice with this chickadee, and I'm really being present internal and external. And all of a sudden it came down. And it was also snowing. It took one seed, peeled it or did something to it and ate it. And then when it was about to take the second, a snowflake fell on its eyelash <laughs> and it winked at me. <laughs> in my hand (laughs) and then it flew off 
Restlessness gone. This is the absence of restlessness. Oh. And to really kind of in that moment there was no sense of really barred. It was just this connection. And I really believe that when we are in this field of kindness, that we can easily, way more easily, open up to the wonders of being alive. This is from Albert Einstein. You probably know this one too. There are two ways to live. You can live as if nothing is a miracle. You feel it coming, right? (laughs) And you can feel as if everything is a miracle. And when we are in contact with kindness and wonder and awe, it's so easy to become appreciative. Which is just another act of kindness, appreciation. To me, appreciation is, again, kindness in action. There's a a Tibetan master, teacher of several lineages of Tibetan Buddhism. His name is Yonge Minyor Rinpoche. And he actually calls appreciation the key to this path of awakening. The key. This is what he said. He says, it's not positive thinking. Appreciation is taking the time to notice what's already here. What we have right now in this very moment. And this capacity gives us the strength to be with our suffering in a skillful way. And also to stay connected to each other as we do. And we make appreciation, when we do make appreciation the foundation of our practice, Every moment is filled with possibility. And I really appreciate him and and his teaching. And one time he came to my class that I teach in the juvenile detention center in the Bronx. (coughs) And he had his assistant and he was in full ropes, you know, in red and a little bit of yellow. And uh, it was just so nice to see him interact with... uh, with the young men. And one time, he was actually sharing that when he was their age, and um, the guys were about 15, 16, he said that he did his first, I think, year-long or 10-month-long retreat. And after we kind of figured out, you know, as a group, what retreat meant, because one man said, is that a tribe or something? No, no, no. So he really kind of clearly pointed it out what it is. One gentleman says, so you lock yourself up (laughs) voluntarily for 10 months? And then when they all got it, they were like, why? (laughs) Like Like they were kind of almost want to say, what's wrong with you? And then, you know, he, he gave such a powerful answer. He said, I want to learn to be with fear. I had so much fear. And he said, that's one of the kindest and also bravest thing to do is to be with one's fear. And they got it. We all got it when he said that. It's not easy. But the way he said it, he was so so full of joy. And I really actually, 
in my time of being part of this community in the juvenile detention center for for a decade, it's like I've seen so many beautiful, courageous acts of kindness and action there. <coughs> I just want to share one story of two young women, Cheyenne and Tati. So the the way we kind of conduct the classes there is that we always first start to talk about a topic. It's not we're not going to immediately go and sit and be quiet. And the topic of one class with about four um, girls, around 14, 15, 16 years old, was um, our heroes. And Cheyenne talked about her mom, but she also talked about a friend that she had. And she said, whenever I'm down, just to bring that image of my friend who lives in the same neighborhood, same age, like the same clothes, the same music, I kind of... That's a refuge for me. She didn't use those words, but that's kind of like, that's, that's a helpful place for me. She inspires me. The following week, I come there again. She comes to me, Bart, guess what? Tati is here. I says, who? The girl I talked about from last week, she's here now. And I go, oh, okay. And she also, Tati, joined the group. And then, and, then we, and, and then Cheyenne said, can we talk about inspiration before we do some meditation practice? I said, sure. And then she said, you are inspiring to me, Tati, she said, because you came from me to this place. So I go, huh? You, Tati, you came to Cheyenne to this secure detention site? It turns out that Tati was also court-involved, but she was in a non-secure site. And when she found out that her friend was locked up in a secure site, she asked the guidance counselor, and she said, I have to wait anyway before I go and see the judge. Can I wait here or can I wait at Horizon in the detention center? And, when, and they said, it's okay, you can wait there as well. Which is a way harder place. Way less freedom. And she did that for Cheyenne. And the way she said it was like, she had oatmeal for breakfast. Of course I do that. Like immediately. And Cheyenne said, Tati has my back. And then, Tati, and then Tati said, but you have mine as well. And one last expression of kindness, besides generosity and appreciation that I'd like to talk about tonight, is spiritual friendship. I'm so appreciating you all. And also this, this team here, with all of the nicknames that have been kind of flowing around. <laughs> you know, it's hard for me to say, to spell names, but I'm going to try. <laughs> J-G-O-G. <laughs> Joseph Goldstein, original gangster. <laughs> uh, and then these lovely beings here. Oh. And just also all the IMS staff who've been hel- holding us. Wow. All the people and the beings on this land. 
all the drivers who are careful, kind of probably seeing one of those weird people walking down the road. <laughs> God knows what they think. The devas, the ancestors, the original people of these lands. You know, the Buddha called friendship a prerequisite for awakening. This is, this is what he said. <clears throat> because if wanderers who are members of other sects should ask you, what friend are the prerequisites for the developments of the wings of self-awakening, you should answer this way. There's the case when a bhikkhu has admirable friends, admirable companions, admirable comrades. This is the first prerequisites for the development of the wings to self-awakening. The first thing. It's like we don't have to do this alone. Yes, we show up for our practice. We don't have to do this alone. Then the Buddha went on and he also described seven qualities of a good friend. He said, bhikkhus, a friend endowed with seven qualities is worth associating with. Which seven? They give what is hard to give. They do what is hard to do. They endure what is hard to endure. They reveal their secrets to you. And they keep your secrets. When misfortunes strike, they don't abandon you. And when you're down and out, they don't look down on you. A friend endowed with these seven qualities is worth associating with. A person in whom these strains are found is a friend to be cultivated by anyone wanting a friend. And I really appreciate this emphasis on friendship in the Buddha's discourses. Because when I started getting interested in Buddhism, the stories that I came across the most in the beginning were these heroic stories of people in caves. You know, there's like this, ad, this, this admiration for complete solitude, which I think can be a helpful thing, but not the only. When I was still living in Holland, I was active in a local community in Nijmegen, and we came together every Tuesday. We even had some day-longs, and as a group, sometimes we had retreats. But I remember one Tuesday, I came in, and everyone was in tears. And it turned out that one of our Sangha members had committed suicide. And everyone had this idea of, like, we didn't see it coming. And that, that wasn't even the worst thing. The worst feeling that we had as a community is, we don't know each other that well. We just sit, listen to a talk, Q&A and go home. 
when do we really connect? So we really completely change the whole way of setting up and coming together in community. And if you look at the Buddha's lifestyle and his teachings, so much of it is relational. This is one of the most quoted, very powerful teachings of the Buddha. Here, Venerable Ananda, and Ananda was the Buddha's cousin, but also for decades his attendant. Here, Venerable Ananda went to the Blessed One, and on arrival, having bowed down to the Blessed One. And someone asked, why, does this, why do we bow down? That could mean so many different things, but mostly it's a sign of respect or gratitude. Kind of a fate, uh, I mean, an expression of that, bowing. And he sat to one side when he bowed down to the Blessed One. And as he was sitting there, the Venerable Ananda said to the Blessed One, and the Blessed One is just another <clears throat> term to refer to the Buddha. He said, this is the half of the holy life, Lord. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship, and admirable camaraderie. And then the Buddha replies, don't say that, Ananda. Don't say that. Admirable friendship, admirable companionship and camaraderie is actually the whole of this holy life. When a bhikkhu has admirable people as friends, companions and comrades, there can be expected that they develop and pursue this path to awakening. And in the beginning, I kind of believed Ananda a little bit. <laughs> it was, you know, especially on retreat, it can be so hard to do it with so many people. Remember I told you about the Lao Yogi? <laughs> there were so many other people. <laughs> there was Mr. Squishy Pants. Ah, <laughs> oh, again that pants. <laughs> and there was this other yogi, she just kept sitting and sitting. I was like, when is she going to get up Miss Show Off? <laughs> this judging mind. Can I just maybe sit in the cave? <laughs> and then judging myself for judging. But seriously, would you really have practiced the way you did this week without the support of this group? Would you have gone up? Got or would you have gotten up so early? Continued all the way till the end of a day. I'd just like to invite another pause. Just maybe check if there's awareness. If there's more like a remembering of awareness. Oh yeah, it's here now. <laughs> and to reflect very specifically, if you like, on all the friends who've supported you. support you in your practice, even when they might throw at you, where's your meditation now? (laughs) They support you. I'm just checking right now, is kindness present? 
appreciation. We are not alone. And that can actually be an insight, this realization that we're not alone. One young man, his name is Jonathan, in the high school where I was teaching meditation, after some relational practice of mindful listening and speaking, he opened to the whole group, he placed his hand on his heart, and he says, I have never been so happy before, and it sounds very strange why, and I apologize. I didn't know that you all judge yourself too. I thought I was the only one. And when he said that in the room of 29 other 16-year-olds, all the heads nodded. This is the shared human experience, which can be such a, for me, a, a source of joy and release, relief. And I love the way Zen master teacher Thich Nhat Hanh puts it. He says, we have individual eyes and we have Sangha eyes. When a Sangha shines its light on our personal views, we see more clearly. Our hearts are more open. Because think about it, when compassion meets sorrow and pain, it turns, I mean, when kindness meets sorrow and pain, it turns into compassion, naturally. And when kindness feels the joy of others, it becomes appreciative joy immediately. For me personally, just as a sacred friend never met him, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is such an example. And I've heard once that he has this little practice where whenever he meets somebody, he meets them with the spirit as if he's meeting a friend he hasn't seen in 10 years. It was such fun to play that little instruction with my dad. With people in my community. It's such a different offering of kindness. And as the Buddha said, it's not always easy. Sometimes we have to, as friends, endure what is hard to endure. And another friend I have, a very, very dear friend, he once said, I'm going to tell you a secret, and I'm only going to tell you and my mom. She knows about it as well. So I'll keep it confidential, obviously. But he said, Bart, I know you're not going to probably be in alignment with this, but I voted for Trump. But the way he kind of set it up was so respectful. I could still see, like, of course, a response. No need to go into why. But I could really appreciate that he kind of said, I'm telling you this secret. 
And as a friend, I've also eventually kind of said my thing, and he had to endure what's hard to endure. <laughs> Let's keep it real. But just this sense of, can we also endure what is hard to endure with people in maybe our communities? It's not easy, but it's so worth it. It only deepens this connection that we're not alone. So I really hope that kindness and action through appreciation, through friendship, can support you on this path. And I want to close with the words from Mother Teresa. I never look at the masses as my responsibility. I look at the individual. I can only love one person at a time. I can only feed one person at a time. Just one. Just one. So you begin. I begin. I picked up one person. Maybe if I didn't pick up that one person, I wouldn't have picked up 42,000. The whole work is is only one drop in the ocean. But if I didn't put that drop in, the ocean would be one drop less. Same thing for you. Same thing in your family. Same thing in the community where you live. Just begin. One. 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 So I'm just inviting you to pause again, just for a moment, however you are. Just letting all this settle.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.